Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I have another Bitcoiner on this week. So I spoke to Peter McCormack, you may remember a number of weeks ago, kind of late last year. And Natalie Brunel is who I'm chatting to today. Now Natalie is also kind of a celebrity in the, in the Bitcoin world. She has over 150,000 uh, followers on Twitter. She has a su- pretty successful YouTube channel. She's got her own podcast, Coin Stories, where she speaks to uh, loads of different people in, in kind of the, the Bitcoin community. So, you know, I think Bitcoin is is constantly something that I hear more and more people investing in. The vast majority of people who get in contact with me directly tell me they hold some crypto. So I want to make sure that I'm bringing bringing that to you guys because it's not something that mainstream finance kind of content often touches on too much. So I really wanted to talk to Natalie because she just seems like a, a, you know, a pretty genuine, lovely person. And that definitely came across. But... I just want you guys to keep in mind that people like Natalie and people like Peter have very, very strong opinions on Bitcoin, positive strong opinions. They're what's known as Bitcoin maximalists. They believe that Bitcoin is the future of money and that kind of nothing nothing is going to get in the way of that. Now, you know, I'm... I'm sitting on the fence at this stage. I can see pros for Bitcoin. I can see cons for Bitcoin. But I think just for you guys, as you're listening to this, you know, when you talk to people who are so positive and so passionate and so um, sort of single-minded in their opinion, it can be easy to get swept away in that. So I just want you to keep in mind that if you are listening to interviews like this, um, if you are if you are consuming content from very pro Bitcoin people, just make sure that you take it with a grain of salt and make sure you're doing the research, your research on the other side of the spectrum as well. Because when it comes to your money, you know there are lots of people out there who have very strong opinions, and in a lot of cases, there's not necessarily one right answer or one person that knows for sure what the outcome of something is going to be. So. Look, I, this was a really enjoyable conversation with Natalie. She, um, she's such a, a positive and um, and happy person, and, and I think anytime you get to speak to somebody who is that passionate about something, that's a really nice conversation to have. It doesn't really matter what the actual topic is; it's just um, quite contagious when somebody is so uh, feels so strongly and, and is so positive about about things. And especially, you know, in the kind of world that we live in at the moment, where there's always a lot of negativity out there i think we can definitely take something from some of these people in the bitcoin community about having a positive outlook on on what the future might might be so look i hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast i will catch up with you after the interview and give you a little bit more insight as to my thoughts and my takeaways from this interview with natalie brunel and just uh, one last thing to add is that we we recorded this interview back on the 29th of, of December. So when we're talking about the price of Bitcoin and whether whether Bitcoin might crash, um, that's kind of before it, it did, basically. But interestingly enough, Natalie kind of calls it a little bit. She kind of calls where the price may end up if we did see a correction. So just keep that in mind that we are recording this. Or we did record this just over a month ago. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the Hedge Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Great stuff. So I'm going to start with something really simple. I'd really like to know how you first discovered Bitcoin. Sure. So it was the year 2017. It was before Bitcoin had that run up to about $20,000. It was probably around six or 7000 I was living in Northern California reporting from the state capital there. And I had friends who lived in San Francisco and worked in Silicon Valley. 
uh, in the tech space. And uh, I was over in San Francisco one weekend and they were talking about Bitcoin. One of them had lost a bunch of Bitcoin in the Mt. Gox incident. Another one uh, had a friend that worked at Coinbase. And so this B word came up and I was like, what's Bitcoin? And they sort of explained it to me, but I didn't go down the rabbit hole. I mean, you can't really explain Bitcoin very well in just one sitting. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I was curious. So I actually ended up opening up a, an account and I bought some some Bitcoin and I saw it run up to 20,000 and I give myself kudos for not selling, mm -hmm. uh, especially when it crashed all the way back down. Um, but it wasn't until actually I read the Bitcoin standard that I really started to understand the technology and the power of this monetary network and how it could change our future and empower a lot of people. So it took a while for me between my first introduction to Bitcoin and until I really just went down the journey of actually studying it, understanding it and being able to be in a place where now I've dedicated my career to helping educate other people about it. And it's been an amazing journey because I really do think that this is the future of savings. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I definitely want to get into more about how you transition your career. But you mentioned there Mt. Gox, which is something that people who are into Bitcoin straight away know what you're talking about. But for somebody who's quite new to Bitcoin, that means nothing. Do you want to just explain to me what actually happened there? Yeah, so I'm definitely not an expert in that whole situation because it was sort of before my time. But my understanding is it was essentially an exchange where you could purchase Bitcoin that was based in Asia and people lost a lot of Bitcoin on it. So the people who held their Bitcoin on this exchange, I don't know if they got hacked or if something happened with the, the people who actually operated at Mt. Gox. But basically, I mean, any, any Bitcoin that you had on that exchange was potentially lost. And there's a massive lawsuit that I, st I still think is active right now in terms of people trying to get their money back or the value of what Bitcoin they held in the exchange. And that was one of the times where I heard that Bitcoin sort of hit mainstream news because people heard about this Mt. Gox incident. Obviously, it was covered very negatively by the news of, hey, you know, this is this is a, a source of fraud. This is a source for criminal activity and really dissuading people from investing in Bitcoin. And I came into it a little bit later after that. So I obviously never purchased my Bitcoin out on Mt. Gox. But, you know, in the early days, there weren't a lot of places where you could actually acquire Bitcoin. Mm. So Mt. Gox, I heard, was one of the one of the popular places. But it just really does go to show that you know, Bitcoin, the network, when you study the network, the Bitcoin, the network has never been hacked. The ledger has never been compromised. However, these exchanges are potentially vulnerable and you have new ones popping up every single day as the crypto space at large gets bigger and bigger. And you just have to be really, really careful, um, especially if you're holding a significant amount of money. You know, you have to really protect your, your Bitcoin because if you get hacked, you potentially could lose a lot of money. Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the key things that I want to try to get across is that you, we need to have education about this. And I think I actually see it from both sides. I see people who are completely against Bitcoin, but don't really understand why they're against it. And then people who are really for Bitcoin, but also can't really articulate, you know, why it's a good thing to be invested in or why it's a good thing to hold. Um, so I definitely think education is, is hugely important, regardless of where you kind of sit kind of off the cuff on the on the issue, really. 
Oh, I completely agree. And it really exposed me to just how poor financial literacy is, not just in our country, but I think really all over the world. Our education system just does not teach us about the history of money and how our, our federal banking system works, how the Federal Reserve prints money. And I think in order to really appreciate Bitcoin, you have to really go back and, and study that because it's, it's, it's trying to fix a problem. So if that problem didn't exist, I don't think Bitcoin would exist. And uh, we've seen you know, our government kind of rush in and respond to the, the markets and try to flood it with liquidity and print more money. And what a lot of people don't realize is that action is actually hurting the very people that it claims to help, right? It's hurting the middle class, it's hurting lower classes. And so Bitcoin's hopefully returning the power to the people, especially in, in the sense of being able to maintain your purchasing power or strengthen it over the years, as opposed to the inflation we're seeing, which is decreasing and debasing our currencies, not just in the US, but around the world. And I think it's really important to study and, and to encourage people to sort of study and peel back the layers on the system and why Bitcoin was even invented and created because it's so unique and it's so brilliantly programmed in my mind. And um, I'm really grateful that I went down the rabbit hole because I was really ignorant like so many people. And I think that's why I'm very passionate about getting the message out because I relate to a lot of people. When I got into Bitcoin, I didn't get it. I knew there was kind of a problem. I sort of saw our country getting more politicized and polarized and there was so much angst and and frustration and a sense that like you couldn't move upwards the way you could maybe a decade or two ago but i didn't understand why and bitcoin really helped me understand the problem and why it was potentially a great solution mm. yeah and i think it is a huge problem everywhere in the world obviously the us is kind of even here in the uk it's the the one we hear the most about in terms of you know printing money quantitative easing that sort of thing but you know, the majority of developed economies now have been printing additional money, quantitative easing for, for a very long time. I heard, I heard your um, kind of really succinct summary, which is kind of similar to what you, what you just um, said there on, on Fox News, I think it was. Um, but do you want to maybe take a little bit of a step back and explain why you think Bitcoin solves that problem that we're seeing of inflation and, and this quantitative easing money printing all over the world? Yeah, so I like to just remind people or educate people if this is the first time they're hearing it that our money, our paper money that we transact in used to be backed by something. We were once on the gold standard and it, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, in 1971, we had a, um, a massive shift here in the country that impacted, I think, the entire world because the US dollar is the global reserve currency. And at one time it was backed by gold reserves and banks. And then Nixon, Nixon took us off the gold standard standard. And from then on, we became a nation that printed money with essentially no consequences. Um, and I think right now we're starting to see the massive ballooning inflation where your dollar has lost like 95% of its purchasing power since the Federal Reserve was established in 1913. And I think that that really hurts the people who are the savers, the income earners, again, the people that are sort of in the middle class or lower class because they don't hold assets. The people at the top hold assets and they hold the real estate. And those are, that, those are the prices that are essentially getting inflated with money printing. And so we don't have a, a system of hard money anymore, money that's essentially backed by something that can't easily be inflated. We used to be backed by gold. Now it's just essentially paper and a ton of debt. I mean, our debt to GDP is insane around the mm -hmm. entire world. We are so indebted. We are so leveraged 
as a global economy. And at some point, you know, you have, you can't keep robbing Paul to pay Peter. And I think that there are real consequences to being a nation that lives by the money printer. And Bitcoin is essentially trying to solve that by being a programmatically scarce monetary good. It is decentralized, so it's like the internet. There's no central point of failure. It's essentially like trying to stop the internet at every point in the entire world. But secondary to that, it's scarce. It's truly digitally scarce. So there's only gonna be 21 million units ever mined. And I like to think of it as, you know, essentially owning like a portion or a full plot of 21 million plots of land in cyberspace. I see it as digital property. I see it as a digital asset. And I essentially see it as the most incredible savings technology because this is the best performing asset of the last decade. It is appreciated about a million percent compared to, I think the next best performing asset was Tesla at 15% or 15,000% over the last 10 years. So really the performance has been speaking for itself. It is still in the sort of baby phases of monetization, but I truly think it's incredible, you know, how it's how it's come to gain mainstream adoption little by little, but it's growing faster than the internet actually was in the 1990s. And I truly think that it will return us to an economy that's actually based on money that can't easily be inflated, hard money, not these, you know, print, 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 paper money, debt, artificially low interest rates that just encourages people to borrow. We can't keep living in debt. We need to live with value and with an economy based on actual price signals and supply and demand. Yeah. One of the things that I find that I'm trying to get my head around a bit with Bitcoin is that we have one of the kind of arguments is that there's the the term that uh, Peter McCormack likes to use is the gatekeepers. And there's, there's people that control the money press, they control the corporations that have all the power, that sort of stuff, which I get. And I get that people want to fight against that and feel disenfranchised against that and often come to Bitcoin as a solution to that. Where I kind of struggle with it is how do we not just end up in the same place, but with a different medium of of monetization? So the example that um, I've heard recently is is Michael Saylor, who's a you know, billionaire, big fan of Bitcoin, has been on your podcast before, interesting guy really like listening to him but his company has bought i think in the last 12 months i'm probably going to get the statistic wrong but like 28 percent of all the bitcoin that has been mined in the last 12 months something like that so not all bitcoin ever mined but recently how do we not get to a point where there's a few guys like him or the winklevoss twins or whoever it is that controls and owns the vast majority of the bitcoin and then we just end up with the same sort of wealth imbalance that we have with the us dollar as the world reserve currency you know, I think that in a, there is no perfect economy where everyone's just going to be equal. And unfortunately, yeah. I think that what so many people don't realize is that the way that the current system is set up with so much government intervention, and again, this system of money printing and quantitative easing, is it's truly disadvantaging the people who need this money the most. And it's creating a lot of moral hazards where the government is now bailing out the people that need the bailouts the least. Yeah. And I, so, so what I believe in is a system in which, yes, there's still going to be people who are rich and people who are poor. However, this kind of gets us back into an economy that's based on value and based on what you, the goods and services that you bring to the table are going to be judged based on actual supply and demand and quality mm -hmm. without these inflated 
not just inflated money supply, but the artificially low interest rates, which, you know, again, the government does in order to stimulate the borrowing, stimulate the spending, because we sort of have this like bottom up mentality from the Keynesian perspective, uh, or excuse me, top down mentality of if the government steps in, they can essentially dictate behavior in an mm -hmm. economy. And so they swing the price signals out of control and no one really knows what the value of anything is anymore. So what I like about Bitcoin is we have a chance to sort of reorder ourselves and create this new financial order that literally everyone has access to right now. Every, we're, we're so, so, so early. If you think about if Bitcoin were to take off, Think about it 100 years from now, right? We're so, so, so early. Everyone has the ability to purchase some Bitcoin right now and, you know, reorder ourselves in a way where the economy is based on a money that cannot be inflated and whatever you create in that economy, you have you have the freedom to create your business and to have it be judged by fair prices, by fair interest rates. And I just think that that system is going to benefit everyone. Will everyone be equal and have the same income? No, but you know, yeah. I don't, I also don't believe that the government should be stepping in and saying, this is who gets money and this is who's close to the Washington insider. So they, it's not fair. Um, yeah. So I think that the system that we have creates more wealth inequality. And I think that we do have the chance to rebuild and like sort of reorder ourselves through Bitcoin. Will it be perfect? Probably not. You know, I'm not saying humans are perfect, but I do think that when you have a money that's so beautifully programmed and really has this disinflationary policy, which you cannot alter, which no central bank will ever control, no matter whether they want to finance a war or whatever, the politicians will have to be more accountable, right? Yeah, like if yeah. they want to do something and spend it, they can't just create it out of thin air. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not going to be a perfect equal world, but I think it's going to be more equal than the one that we have. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So why does Bitcoin win? Let, let's say that happens. And again, I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. It, let's say the hyper-Bitcoinization thing, it happens, the world runs on Bitcoin, that is the money that we use. Is Bitcoin, let's say that will happen with a cryptocurrency, is Bitcoin going to win that just because it's the first? Why? Because I could, I mean, I couldn't, I don't know how to code, but hypothetically, someone can create an exact copy of Bitcoin today and call it whatever they want, Bitcoin 2. Why is Bitcoin going to be the one? Is it purely because it has that first mover advantage? There has been more people invested in it, more people developing in it, or is there something else that means that is going to be the one that wins in terms of digital money? Yeah, I mean, I think I honestly look at some of these cryptocurrencies as attempted copies. You know, everyone yeah. wants to know, can can Bitcoin be killed? Can it be copied? Well, there have been like 10,000 attempts to kill it mm -hmm. and copy it. And it's just growing stronger and stronger. I really do believe in the power of the network effect. I think early on when it was, you know, very unknown and it was in the community of the cypherpunks and people were sort of mining on their home laptops, it would have probably been easy to kill and squash because it just the network was not reinforced enforced and wasn't um, decentralized around the entire globe. But at this point, to try to replicate that would cost, I would argue, trillions of dollars. And why would you try to attempt that when you have something that's such a pristine technology with such a strong network already? You have the strongest programmers and developers moving into the Bitcoin space as opposed to trying to 
you know, what that's a huge risk to try to create a yeah. competitor. So I think at this point, you know, it's really proven itself. Um, I think that, again, it was born out of a need to try to solve this problem of central banking interference and this financial prerogative that politicians have that they've abused. And, and it returns the power back to essentially the people and an economy based on sound money. And I just, I think it would be de very difficult to replicate. And I think it's pretty much impossible to kill. It's, it, it, to me, it's a bomb proof technology. It, it, nation states could ban it and maybe the hash power would be affected temporarily, or maybe the price would fall temporarily, but it bounces back. It's so resilient. And I truly think it's incredible how strong it's grown in just the last 10 years. So I can only imagine the next 10 and the 10 after that. That's a interesting you say that because my next question was going to be what do you think we're going to what what do you think bitcoin looks like in 10 years time yeah so i think it's going to be extremely strong i think mainstream adoption would have would have happened institutions would have poured in i think that that is actually going to come very soon and i think inflation is going to drive a lot of it because i said in some of my broadcasts you know i really think that not just our country, but many countries are sort of between a rock and a hard place. If they keep printing money, they are literally moving their country toward inflation and continued debasement, which is hurting people and their everyday you know, trips to the grocery store and being able to afford their rent. Or they could hike interest rates and really collapse their, their debt issue and, uh, and drive the economy into a strong recession, if not a depression. So I think right now what we're seeing is sort of this bubble being maintained by the act of money printing. And I truly think that people are going to see that Bitcoin being this scarce commodity, this scarce digital asset that already has a 12 year record and has never been hacked or compromised. I think people will start to recognize that this is probably their best option out of this system, which feels a bit rigged. And I think more and more people will pour into it. I do think we need more regulatory clarity. So, you know, hopefully a spot ETF will be approved here in the US. I know it's happened in some other countries and they're sort of wavering here. I think the other cryptocurrencies will be deemed securities and uh, there's gonna be a lot of issues with, you know, what happens with those. But I truly think that our government has already recognized that Bitcoin is digital property it's not threatening to our currency, at least not at this point. And it's something that should be you know, permitted for people to store value the way that they purchase real estate, the way that they purchase you know, a, a rare art piece. They should be allowed to hold Bitcoin and companies should be able to have it in their reserves. So I think in the next 10 years, we'll see more companies pour in, we'll see more uh, retail adoption. And I think the price will, will significantly increase. You know, They're expecting, I believe I saw charts um, that we will have about a billion users by 2025. I mean, that's probably going to come with a mm. nice price bump, right? Mm. Um, and and it's funny because I, I don't, at that point, 10 years from now, it's hard to make a price prediction only because with inflation, I don't even know what a dollar is going to be worth. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I do think it's going to grow. I think it's going to be in 10 years with more than a billion people. And I think that more and more people will be transacting in it in other countries, not necessarily here in the US. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to come down to if there's a buck in it, eventually the mainstream players will want to get involved, won't they? I think that's what it comes down to. And I know that those ETFs you mentioned before, they're pretty expensive and you can get away with charging a lot for them because there's there's not many, very many of them on the market. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it is going to be interesting. Um, 
I would like to hear a little bit more about your transition from someone who, from from what I could gather, you were, um, you know, like you said, a broadcaster. You you look like you had a fairly successful career, and then you've kind of fairly recently, I think, made this switch to like all Bitcoin. Like that's it. That's that's your thing. What what made you? Was there a single kind of inflection point where you thought, you know what, it just clicked, and you thought I got to do this, or is it just something that over a few months you thought? it just became more and more part of your life and you thought, I've got to make this my life's work, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, I have become increasingly more and more passionate the more I learn. And none of us, you know, Sailor says this, none of us are experts. We're all still really learning. But the other thing that I think he also um, says is that Bitcoin is really, um, it's really something that he thinks the price would have probably still been around like eight to 10,000 had the pandemic not happened. I think mm. the pandemic really was this laser focus moment on just how broken our financial system is once again. I mean, we had, we came out of the 0809 financial crisis. They printed a whole bunch of money. It's, just, it's like they inflated the bubble again. This time it's a big treasury bubble. We are so, so, so in debt. And basically they've outlawed having recessions. So the second that the market dips, they just print more money. And it's all just creating this massive wealth inequality with the asset holders, these ballooning prices in the S&P. You know, a lot of people argue that the inflation's not 6.8%, but it's more the, the rate at which the S&P went up, which is about 30% over the last yeah. year, which is really, really scary. It has real effects. So how do you avoid that? I mean, you're essentially, your money in the bank is getting debased. If you're the average person, what you have to risk it essentially in stocks, you have to figure you have to become like a day trader on the side to try to figure out where to put your money. You you don't have a safe place to just put your money after working hard in whatever industry you chose. And so for me, I sort of started to see, especially after reading things like the Bitcoin standard and starting to consume interviews with the, the big thought leaders, which is why I started my podcast. I started to realize that, you know, people know that there's a problem. People are feeling it. People are frustrated. People feel like they can't work hard enough and they can never make enough. And it's just harder and harder to afford life and a family and college and all the things you want to afford. And yet we don't know why we don't. We're not connecting the dots of how this is coming from our federal monetary policy, our money printing, how our financial system works. So I felt like it was kind of a. Um, incumbent upon me to share this information once I learned it and really understood it in a way that I could communicate it because I feel like we should people should have a fair shot you know my family immigrated from Poland to the U.S. all they wanted was a shot at the American dream they didn't want you know Jeff Bezos's yacht they didn't want like a mansion in Beverly Hills they just wanted a nice house for their kids and for their kids to get a good education and they wanted to be able to take like a vacation every year and Every single year, even though they worked so hard, they didn't, because they didn't know how to invest, they were just savers and put their money in the bank. They, the game was just getting harder. The goalpost was moving on them and they couldn't save enough. It was always harder and harder. And then the financial crisis hit in 08, 09. I was in college. They lost everything. And so for me, it's like, that's not fair. That's this, that's not what a democracy, what a fair government, what a fair economy should look like. People mm. working hard and then losing everything. So I, again, like when I learned this, I felt like I had been reporting for the last 10 years on all of these issues on a micro level, you know, day by day, face after face of just civil unrest, public corruption, poverty increasing, homelessness ballooning. And it's like, what's causing all of this? Well, I learned it was our money. Our money is 
the problem, our money is broken and the system is broken and now there's a potential fix. And I felt like I just wanted to share this message and use my 10 years of experience being a communicator and a messenger and sort of a synthesizer of information to just really get out there and say, guys, there's an option out. There's, you know, the flood has come, but there's an ark that can save all of us. It has room for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I just hope to encourage people, you know, if nothing more, not, not to necessarily buy Bitcoin, but at least to look at how the system works, you know, try to understand how money printing works, try to really think about who you're voting in and what they're promising you and what the cost will be, maybe not for you, but for the generation after you or generation after you. We have to stop these like entitlement programs and this sort of victim culture that we're creating where everyone just expects a handout. And it's funny, I read this quote online that I totally agree with where it was Someone saying, I don't understand why it's greedy to want to keep your own money, but not greedy to want to take from someone else, you know, who <laughs> yeah, earned yeah. it. And it's true. It's like we've gotten into this weird mode where I feel like the wrong people are the wrong people are being blamed. And we're creating sort of this victim mentality of, well, the government should just help me and the government should just send me checks and all that. No, no, no. The economy should be based on freedom and value what you bring to the table, work hard. There should be law, there should be rule of law. And we've lost all of that. And so I just, I've become passionate because as a reporter, I've sort of seen the demise of all of this. And I didn't have hope until I learned about Bitcoin. I literally looked at the future and I was like, I have no idea where we're going. I mean, God help all of us because we're yeah. just going to keep, keep kicking the can down the road, probably move closer and closer to authoritarianism. And people are just going to vote in people thinking that they're the saviors and they're going to be false prophets. And until I learned about Bitcoin, I just, I felt like I saw a very gloomy future and now I don't anymore. I mean, that's amazing. I think that's one of the, all the people I get on the show, I try to bring people who have specific financial kind of knowledge to talk about, but I try to pick people who have that, but also have an interesting kind of life aspect to it. Because the, the reason I started this podcast as a financial planner is I wanted to teach people about investing and growing wealth and that sort of stuff. But that can be quite boring talking about tax rates and use this particular account and blah, blah, blah. I think the reason why I find it interesting is because the whole point of growing wealth is to be able to live a life that you want to live and do the things that you want to do. So the message I try to get across is the perfect scenario you want to get to is find a way where you can grow wealth. You have enough money to invest, to invest, to become wealthier, to accumulate assets, but accumulate assets so that you can do the things you want to do. You know, look after your family the, the way that you want to, to do it and, and spend your time doing things that make you happy. And I think it sounds like you've kind of been proof of that where you've able been able to make your career about something you're passionate about and that I'm sure then flows on to being because you're passionate about it it then becomes a more financially rewarding career on top of that as well kind of that that's that perfect sort of ongoing cycle and loop isn't it oh for sure you know I loved being a reporter I learned so much because every single day my day was very different um, and it was very challenging you know because you're seeing really just some of the most difficult situations that people are experiencing and you see it from different angles and you're interviewing people on from from all across the spectrum and every single different background whether they're you know the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich and the politicians making the policies and so i've seen it from so many different angles and i'm really grateful that now i can kind of channel all of that energy and all of that experience into something that i truly believe will make a positive difference and you know i think that some people make fun of sort of the bitcoiners as being you know like almost religious about it or being too altruistic or you know being a little overly positive but 
you know, think of the alternative. You'd rather have a bunch of people that are saying, you know, we're all just, it's doomsday is is before us. I mean, I would way rather choose the Bitcoin community that sees this new financial order of accessibility and banking the unbanked and giving, you know, financial freedom to people. And I just think it's amazing. It's really inspiring. It's it's made me have, again, a lot of hope for the future. And I want to share that message with as many people as possible because I do think that right now, a lot of people don't have hope. A lot of people, you know, it's it's almost like a campaign thing, right? I mean, in 2008, we elected here in the U.S. Obama based on hope. We've needed yeah. hope for so long. And I feel like Bitcoin really delivers that. And it delivers us this sort of option to not have to worry so much about the money that we work hard to earn because you can finally put it in a place where what last year the the return was like 160%, right? Where are you going to get that in a bank? Uh, <laughs> where are you going to get that without totally just risking on a bunch of meme stocks or penny stocks or whatever, yeah. uh, or meme coins? Um, so I, I don't even see a lot of risk in Bitcoin anymore. I used to before I really understood it. But I just truly, I, I think it's an incredible technology and I can't wait to see kind of that mass adoption kick in and I can't wait to see the six figure price. I think it's going to be so exciting for the community because we do, we work really hard to get this message out um, because if you buy Bitcoin, right, it benefits you, it benefits me, it benefits the whole network. There's mm-hmm. no, lo- I don't see any losers in Bitcoin, which I think is great. And in the other system, I see a lot of winners and losers and it depends what side of the pendulum you're on. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. It's something that I've noticed and I know it's not, it's not all positive. There's always assholes in any community, but <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely have noticed that on, on social media that broadly the discourse between people who are into it is is actually really supportive um you know if you get someone who is a stock market commentator who puts an opinion on twitter you're almost guaranteed to have a bunch of blue ticks underneath them disagreeing or saying why their analysis is shit or or something whereas you know when when you get people making statements about bitcoin it does tend to be very supportive is that is that just because of that that comment you just made there about the fact that it's not a zero-sum game. It's sort of like the rising tide lifts all boats, so to speak. Yeah, and I really truly believe that Bitcoiners are just, they are driven by this mission to fix the problem. And so they want to put a spotlight on the problem and anyone who's discussing the problem and maybe is uneducated about it. So they will go hard on you if you're like a politician or if you're denying that inflation is going to be here to stay. Mm -hmm. And I love that about them because they're, they're, you know, they're not letting people off the hook. And I think we've sort of lost a little bit of that. I mean, me as a journalist, I went into the profession thinking, wow, this is, it's such a noble industry. We hold the people at power accountable. We're that extra branch of government, right? We are so necessary to be the uh, watchdogs. And by the end of my tenure as a journalist, I was like, wow, all these journalists are just placating to whatever the government or politicians yeah. want. They're basically regurgitating the same messages they hear from the White House instead of questioning them. And I was like, that's not that's not journalism. That's essentially propaganda. Yeah. And that's very scary for me. So I like that Bitcoiners like hold truth to power and really call people out regardless of what their politics are, regardless of what their background is or job is. They will call you out. They've called Elon Musk out. They've called, you know, Elizabeth Warren out. And I really respect that. And and I think it's really freeing when you're able to speak the truth as well. So before when I was a journalist, I, I had to be neutral sort of about everything. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't put 
I couldn't really put my opinion out there, even though over the 10 years I developed some opinions based on mm. all my experience. And now I feel like I can totally be myself, totally be authentic. I think people resonate with that message. They can see that I'm very passionate about it. And so I think that that's what's so great about the Bitcoin community. You have a lot of people who are extremely passionate, extremely truthful, even if the truth hurts and they're putting it out there and there's clearly an audience for that message. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So you've got your own podcast you mentioned before coin stories um which i've listened to a number of the episodes it's, it's definitely uh, a good listen you get some great guests on there what are some of the most interesting things you've picked up from that maybe unexpected things or just kind of things left field what's some of the stuff that you've learned from from having that podcast and running that podcast uh, you know, it's just been so rewarding to sort of get a little bit more personal with some of these thought leaders because I had heard most of my guests on other shows or I had read their books, but I just, I always like to know how did people get to be where they are? Um, I've always been really interested in biographies, autobiographies, rags to riches stories, you know, how people come to success and how people overcome obstacles. It's always been really inspiring for me. So I, you know, once I learned about Bitcoin and I saw all these people who have followings or they've written books or they have shows I just really wanted to know like what was their journey how did they get there why do they believe so much in Bitcoin how did they discover it and just sort of what's their background like did they grow up with money did they think about money and so for me it's been just really rewarding getting to know people a little bit on a little bit more personal of a level and just, mm -hmm. just showing a little bit more of the human side of these kind of you know figures that are, I think, getting bigger and bigger every single year that Bitcoin's getting bigger. And, um, you know, I, I just everyone's been really interesting. I, I've learned so much about people's backgrounds and families. It's been awesome to hear their journeys. It makes me more convicted in Bitcoin. And it's, you know, some people have surprised me with just how they discovered Bitcoin or how long they've been in it. And I just, I really love doing the show. So I hope to, to continue to do it. Yeah. Well, I hope you do. It's, it's really interesting. I, I really enjoy listening to it. Um, do you find most or, I mean, you're obviously not going to know specifically, but do you find, do you get the impression that a lot of Bitcoiners are literally only invested in Bitcoin or do you, do people tend to have a bit more, do they ever talk to you about the equities market and that kind of thing that gives you the impression they invest in that? Because I, I, I kind of feel like I get the impression a lot of people literally all they have their money in is Bitcoin. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of a mix. I definitely know that some of the biggest thought leaders that I really admire, like the Saifedeans and Preston Pish and Michael Saylor, they are really all in on Bitcoin. They believe in Bitcoin. They don't, you know, trade the other currencies or believe in them. So I really respect and admire them. And then there are other people I've interviewed who definitely do. They trade and they're active and they, you know, turn profits from other financial markets into Bitcoin. Basically, they use those to purchase more Bitcoin, which is great too. Look, I believe in free markets, so do whatever you want. I, I, I think, you know, at the beginning when I didn't know too much about Bitcoin, I actually had Bitcoin and gold and I ended up selling all my gold. <laughs> I was like, this thing is going to demonetize gold. So, um, you know, I, I think it just depends on the person. And certainly I think that maybe people are also not fully transparent about what they have. I don't think that everyone would necessarily yeah, admit they well. have, yeah. you know, a certain crypto or whatnot. <laughs> um, like I, I've traded options just in, in stocks, like the S&P options this year, just to make money to, again, put into Bitcoin. And that's worked for the most part. Um, so yeah, I think that it's a little bit across the board, but for the most part, a lot of the big people that I've had on my podcast, they seem to be 
pretty much Bitcoin only and all in on Bitcoin. Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned before that you don't really see much risk in, in Bitcoin yourself now that you've kind of, the more you learn about it. With that said, what do you think are the potential risks? Even if you think they're fairly minor risks, what are the kind of headwinds that you potentially could see, even even if it's momentarily derailing kind of the Bitcoin project? Yes. So that's a great question. So I don't see a lot of risk. I see a lot of volatility. And mm-hmm. that's the one thing that keeps me sort of wondering when I'm going to make maybe my next big purchase because I dollar cost average, but then there will be times where, you know, it dips and I'll make like a bigger buy. Um, the thing that I worry about is our inflationary environment and what the Fed is going to do. So again, I, they're between a rock and a hard place. Are they going to print more money and inflate it more? Are we going to get to 10% inflation or are they going to finally hike interest rates and basically collapse the market? Because I do think that eventually that'll happen. They can't keep interest rates at basically zero. Something has to give. I don't know if it's going to give in six months, 12 months, 24 months, no clue how long they're going to kick the can down the road. But eventually that number is going to change. I think the market's going to react. And I wonder how big of a correction that will be. So that's the thing I've really been wondering because through my show, I've interviewed people that aren't just huge into Bitcoin. They, you know, follow the financial markets, maybe they're, um, you know, strategists, economists in general. And some of them are predicting a crash that is bigger than 08, 09. Mm. And I don't discount them at all. You know, some people think that there's no way that's going to happen because the Fed will just step in you know, that's, that's possible. And maybe we will keep kicking the can down the road and have a 10% correction here. And then they'll just flood it with more money. But at some point you're going to risk hyperinflation. So I think that we're going to have a massive correction. That's going to shake out all the leverage that we have. I think it's going to, you know, shake out a lot of the malinvestments that have happened with these low interest rates. And I wonder how bad of a, of a crash that will be. Um, I think that that will take all the cryptos down with it. I think Bitcoin will draw draw down significantly, especially because of how liquid it is and people are Mm going to be liquidating everything. Um, I think money will flow to gold at that point as well. I I just don't know when it's going to happen. And I I guess I'm sort of careful because I see the potential of if we get to, let's say, 100, 150 Bitcoin, then I see it maybe drawing down to only 50 or around where we're at now. But -hmm. if we don't get there... If we don't get there and we're just trotting along around 60, 70,000 and a crash happens, I think we could come back down to maybe 20s. I don't know. So again, I don't see a lot of risk long-term in Bitcoin. I see a lot of volatility. I do see it correlated a bit to what's happening with the inflation and in the financial markets and how they're responding to inflation and variant fears and all that. And um, I think it just has to play out. Here's what I will say. I think when that crash does happen, I think there's going to be no option for the government except to print more money, print more money than they ever have. And I think at that point we we will have hyper Bitcoinization. I think everyone will flood to Bitcoin. Everyone will run to it as sort of this like safety net and safe haven because it's the one thing they can't inflate. Uh, I think some of that money will, will go to gold, especially for the people that haven't educated themselves on Bitcoin. And I think that's when we will hit just sort of these crazy all-time highs. But I, I almost think we need a crash before that happens. So we'll mm. see what we'll see what happens. I hope you've got some, uh, if you think that in the short term that that's going to boost the gold price, hopefully you've got some Peter Schiff reply tweets ready to go because I'm sure he'll be having a, a field day with that one when that happens, when oh. and if that happens. 
you know, it's so funny, Peter, I think Peter's actually done more for Bitcoin adoption than some of the big Bitcoiners. Um, I think Peter is so brilliant. He actually has a book called The Real Crash. He's been predicting a crash for a while. He thought that we needed really a huge shakeout in 0809 as opposed to the bailouts that we saw where they basically reinflated the bubble and bailed out the big banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't have that huge, I mean, we saw a crash, but we we truly didn't have the crash we needed. And now we've, we've sort of pushed it and postponed it. And I just think he's such a brilliant Austrian economist. I think he's, you know, fascinatingly knowledgeable about the history of money and our financial system. I just don't understand how he doesn't get Bitcoin because it's like it's it's so up his alley with everything he believes. And yet, I don't know. He just he's not into Bitcoin. Yeah. For those who don't know, Peter Schiff is he has I mean there's a lot of similarities and if, and if you read the book if you read the book the bitcoin standard which is a really good book it's a really interesting book even if you are aren't sold on bitcoin it is a really good um, lesson in in what money is right and you kind of get to the point where the distance between gold and bitcoin isn't as massive as you, as you really think and peter schiff is uh he's he's on the gold side of that that coin so to speak so um yeah. he, he's he, like you say he's he's someone who you can learn a lot from even if you either agree or disagree on the specifics you can learn a lot from the arguments about what is money what actually does it stand for what makes good money those sorts of things oh absolutely i really i highly recommend people follow him and watch his show i just he's really brilliant when it comes to just monetary policy and the need for hard money and what the fed is doing and the problems with inflation but yeah it's funny that he he doesn't believe in the technology and a lot of Bitcoiners are former gold bugs. They're like mm-hmm. reformed gold bugs that believe, <laughs> hey, this solves a lot of the problems of portability and just sort of, you know, the fact that gold has been centralized by by the by the banking system. And this really democratizes money once again. And he, I hope he makes a turnaround like Sailor, because Sailor, you know, it's funny to bring up Sailor's tweets back in 2013. He was so against Bitcoin. He thought oh, it was right, okay. zero. And he leaves those up and he's like, you know, I made a turnaround. I, I evolved. And I hope that that happens with Peter Schiff because he really does believe in all the things Bitcoiners believe. Mm. But, you know, I also think he's kind of a character in the, in the space. So maybe he, maybe he likes being the villain because that's yeah. sort of his brand now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you think that's a risk? Obviously, the UK at the US, well, the world was on the gold standard, pretty much the world. Um, and then a lot of cases, the gold was forcibly taken from people. Mm-hmm. Do you think that could happen with Bitcoin? I don't. I don't. You know, I think that the way that it was programmed and the way that it operates and would be very, very <laughs> difficult to confiscate it. Right. I mean, it's essentially a password in your head at the end mm. of the day. No one knows really how much you have it's it's not held in some bank necessarily somewhere and i think that it's it's incredibly empowering especially for people who you know my family didn't flee in like a very dramatic way like some people had to leave their country and they could only bring like a hundred us dollars worth of their belongings or cash imagine if they had bitcoin you know Um, and i truly i I was really inspired by some of the stories that i heard recently when i went to the oslo freedom forum and i interviewed this woman from afghanistan who is a ceo a tech ceo from afghanistan she had been paying her employees all female employees in bitcoin since like 2013 
And she talked about, you know, when um, the Taliban took over and the banks, there was a run on the banks and the banks shut down. The people who had Bitcoin were able to pay for evacuations and they were able to continue transacting or pay for whatever they needed or pay to escape. And it's like, imagine if people had had that, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago in different countries that they were trying to flee. And I truly believe that that's why it's funny to me when people say, oh, it's, you know, it's only for this political party or it's only for these people, it's only for the rich. Well, it's literally helping poor people in real time be able to subvert oppressive governments, to escape inflation, to escape, you know, oppressors. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, Bitcoin is incredible. I mean, that is the thing. That is the thing. I think it's, it's very easy for us to miss in the West where life is fine. Like, yeah, there are problems, but we, the vast majority of us have a roof over our head. Groceries are getting more expensive, but we can still buy enough for the, for the family. We've got Netflix. Like, life really isn't that bad. But I think, yeah, I can definitely see why there's a bigger uptake in places like El Salvador, which we won't go into because that would probably be another hour we could talk about that. But, you know, I can definitely see that because that that really highlights the importance of having money that can't when you that can't be messed around with by the government. Because when you've got a government that can literally take it away overnight, freeze all your bank accounts, we don't really ever expect that to happen in the UK or the US. But if you're in, in Afghanistan, all of a sudden that's not so far-fetched really. <laughs> No, and it's really interesting to think about our world ever since just the boom in technology, how globalization has taken over and how much we really identify with maybe our borders and our nations. And I I mean, this would be a global neutral currency that you could use. You could use one Bitcoin here. It's the same value in North Korea. It's the same value yeah. in China. It's the same value in Italy. It's the same value in Africa. I mean, we've never really had something like that. Uh, I mean, I guess under the gold standard was the closest, but I truly am amazed somehow sometimes about how technology has really changed our world. All the things that didn't even exist just 20 years ago, you mentioned Netflix, you know, Facebook, all, all these things that weren't around 20 years ago. Now let's think 20 years forward. What will that world look like? Because we are not just relying on whatever we're producing as a country, right? We're, we're, buying and importing and exporting to every single country and we deal with these exchange rates and you know this is the global reserve currency and this currency has a 50 percent inflation it's like why do we need any of that why why can't we just have one currency that you can use everywhere uh which would be really really interesting and cool and i know sailor has pointed out in different interviews where he believes actually a lot of currencies will collapse into the dollar and sort of the dollar will be the medium of exchange bitcoin will be the reserve asset which i can Mm -hmm. see that being the future um but i don't know i mean it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out especially on that global level because again anyone can purchase this at any time from any country and the network is distributed around the whole world yeah i think regardless no matter where you sit on it i think the 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 coming years are going to be interesting when it comes to bitcoin i think nobody could disagree with that um that, it's been a fantastic, um, fascinating chat with you. I've really enjoyed having you on, Natalie. Thanks so much for Thank coming you. on the show. What are you most excited about for your own work over the next year? Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really, really fun. And I'm just excited to get the message out to more people. It is always, it gives me great joy when I have someone who is skeptical come to me and say, what was that link? Or where can I go buy some? What did you say about Bitcoin? And it makes me really excited because I can see people one by one opting into this 
this system that's based on freedom and altruistic values and and hope and uh, this this idea that you know we can rebuild, we can start something new and build it better. Um, and I am really excited about that. So I just I hope for more mainstream adoption in the years to come. Brilliant. And where can people find that message? Where can people find your content, the stuff you put out there, your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is called Coin Stories. You can find it on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere you get your podcasts. I'm very active on Twitter at Nat Brunel. That's where I post a lot of information about Bitcoin and my interviews. Um, I'll be at the Bitcoin conference. If anyone wants to head there, you can get your tickets b.tc slash conference. Use Coin Stories for 10% off. That'll be really fun. And uh, yeah, just reach out. My DMs are open and I love to share the message of Bitcoin with people. Fantastic. Thanks again for coming on, Natalie. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. There you go, guys. That was the interview with Natalie Brunell. I hope you enjoyed that. Like I say, she is a hardcore Bitcoiner. So you can tell when we're talking about, I think she said at one point, uh, I don't see risk in Bitcoin. I just see volatility. And I think, I think that's something that you got to be very careful with. You know, I think if uh, if you're looking to invest your own money, you know, there is still a lot of risk in Bitcoin. You know, there's still um, potential government intervention. There's still loads of stuff that could happen that could derail the Bitcoin project. And I think a more balanced view is probably... More on the sensible side, you know, with that said, as with anything, the more risk you take, the more potential return that you get. So for those people who are going all in on Bitcoin, they're either going to lose big or they're going to win big. Um, and that tends to be the way in any form of investment. But either way, either way, you know, I think it's really interesting to speak to people like her, especially off the back of speaking to Mark LaMonica a couple of weeks ago, where his take on Bitcoin was that it is is not a real asset it's not a real investment and so i think um, taking bits and pieces from all these people and making our own decisions is the most important thing so i hope you I hope you found value in that um if you haven't picked up a copy yet of my my ebook modern investing fundamentals i do cover bitcoin i do cover crypto as well as mainstream investment assets like the equity markets shares bonds gilts cash how much you need in an emergency fund, risk profiling, all that kind of stuff, diversification. If you haven't got a copy of that yet, you can pick one up on Amazon for £9 or the preferable option is to go to my website, thehedge.io and sign up for the newsletter, put your email address in and you'll get a free copy delivered directly to your uh, to your inbox. So as well as getting a, a free copy of the ebook, there's loads of other stuff on the website as well. You can see, find articles, you can go listen to all the, the past episodes of the podcast, obviously, uh, as well as some resources on there. So different books on investing that I recommend um, and that sort of thing as well. On there, there's also all the links to social pages and how to get in touch with me if you have a question. So obviously, every second week, I try and bring you a guest. And the other alternate week, I I, I talk about what's going on in the world, I talk about what's happening with investments, and I answer your questions. So if you have a question, if you have something you would like me to answer on the podcast, then go to thehedge.io, go to the contact page and drop me a line there. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show for your support. It really means a lot to me. If you get two seconds to drop me a five-star review, you can now do that on Spotify as well as Apple. So it literally should be a couple of taps of your finger on, um, on whichever app you use. That would really help me grow the show it really helps um, boost it up the rankings and gets more gets it in front of more more eyeballs and more more ears as well so thanks so much for your support guys and i look forward to speaking to you next week <laughs>